It's my honour to uh, read uh, this morning's verses and our first reading is Jonah 1. You'll find them on the overhead and in your handouts or in your Bible if you've got one. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it because its wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. He went down to Joppa, where he found a ship bound for that port. And paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. Then the Lord sent a great wind on the sea, and such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break up. All the sailors were afraid, and each cried out to his own God. And they threw the cargo into the sea to lighten the ship. But Jonah had gone below deck, where he lay down and fell into a deep sleep. The captain went to him and said, How can you sleep? Get up and call on your God. Maybe he will take notice of us so that we will not perish. Then the sailors said to each other, Come, let us cast lots to find out who is responsible for this calamity. They cast lots. And the lot fell on Jonah. So they asked him, Tell us, who is responsible for making all this trouble for us? What kind of work do you do? Where do you come from? What is your country? From what people are you? He answered, I am Hebrew, and I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. This terrified them, and they asked, What have you done? They knew he was running away from the Lord because he already told so. The sea was getting rougher and rougher, so they asked him, what should we do to make the sea calm down for us? Pick me up and throw me into the sea, he replied, and it will become calm. I know that it is my fault that this great storm has come upon you. Instead, the men did their best to row back to land, but they could not for the sea grew even wilder than before. Then they cried out to the Lord, Please, Lord, do not let us die for taking this man's life. Do not hold us accountable for killing an innocent man, for you, Lord, have done as you pleased. Then they took Jonah and threw him overboard, and the raging sea grew calm. At this the men greatly feared the Lord, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows to him. Now the Lord provided a huge fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish for three days and three nights. And this morning's second reading is from Mark chapter 4, verses 35 to 41. Mark 4, 35 to 41. That day when evening came, he said to his disciples, let us go over to the other side. Leaving the crowd behind, they took him along, just as he was in the boat. There were also other boats with him. A furious squall came up, and the waves broke over the boat, so that it was nearly swamped. Jesus was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion. The disciples woke him up and said to him, Teacher, don't you care if we drown? He got up, rebuked the wind, and said to the waves, Quiet, be still. Then the wind died down and was completely calm. He said to his disciples, Why are you so afraid? 
do you still have no faith? They were terrified and asked each other, who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. Thanks, Gary, for reading that for us. I'll, I will miss your radio voice, uh, Gary. It's a <laughs> lovely sounding voice. <laughs> uh, you've got an outline in your handout, so if you want to follow on where we're going, you can uh, look at that. Uh, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. Uh, your word is wonderful, and it teaches us many things. And we pray, Father, that you would accompany your word this morning by your powerful spirit, uh, that we might really hear it and uh, desire and uh, seek to put it into practice. Help us this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as Scott said, we're starting a new series today from the book of Jonah, looking at the one of the most interesting, unusual stories and controversial stories uh, of the Bible. Jonah is everyone's favourite story. Children love it, adults are fascinated by it, uh, I think it's the basis for Moby Dick and Pinocchio, those stories that were told. Um, yet Jonah is also a controversial story. For many people, it's just a myth. Jonah wasn't swallowed by a fish. Besides, there are no fish that size that could possibly do that in the Mediterranean. But those who reject this story as fiction actually contradict Jesus himself who confirms the story in Matthew chapter 12, where he says to the religious leaders, Jonah was three days and nights in the belly of a huge fish. But surely the issue is not really the fish, is it? It's the power and authority of God. That's the issue. If God is God and if he created the universe, if he's almighty, then this miracle is hardly a problem for him, is it? So why study Jonah? Why look at this old, fairly obscure story? Well, the story of Jonah reminds us of the awesome, all-powerful, good God who rules the universe and is involved in the details of our lives. He's not the God of my cause, the one we try to enlist for our little projects. He's not the God of my understanding, the way I see it is the way it is. Really? Have you never read Isaiah 55 verse 9 where God says, My thoughts are higher than your thoughts? Neither is he the God of my experience or the God of my comfort or the God of my success. God is way beyond our trivial notions of him. And the text of Jonah introduces us to the real God who is both all-powerful and very, very good. We also need the story of Jonah because as Christians, we're actually often like Jonah, aren't we? Ignoring God's presence, turning from God's word, running from the call of God on our lives. It's surely a sign of spiritual vitality when we are keen to do what God says. But we battle, don't we, with this rebellion in our hearts. And we know we have to wrestle and fight and pray in order to submit to God's will and do what he wants. And like Jonah here in this story, a gap easily develops, doesn't it, between what we profess, what we believe about God and the way we live our lives before him. We know what God wants from us. It's often very, very clear. 
we have his word to tell us. But because it's outside of our comfort zone, because it means self-denial and sacrifice, we excuse ourselves and keep God's word at sort of arm's length. Let's face it, we're all Jonas at, time, at times, aren't we? We all tend to turn away from God's work. We would rather be in Tarshish than Nineveh. Having said that, don't get the idea that the book of Jonah is about slack Christians. It's not about the church or you, it's about God. And it's not written to condemn us. It's there to actually encourage us and inspire us. It's teaching us how God patiently and graciously works with his people, often broken people, to achieve his aim to reach and rescue more people. So let's begin in this first chapter. Firstly, God saves a great city. We see that in the assignment that Jonah gets from God. Look at verse 1. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Imeter. Go to the great city Nineveh and preach against it because its wickedness has come up before me. Now, Jonah is God's prophet, God's spokesman. He's only mentioned in one other place in the Bible, and that's in 2 Kings 14, when Jeroboam was king over the nation of Israel in the 8th century BC. The first assignment Jonah had was to prophesy that the borders of Israel would be expanded under Jeroboam's rule. It was a very pleasant and positive task, wasn't it? Which pleased the king, obviously, and the people. But now God was telling Jonah to go and preach to the Ninevites, to the Assyrians, the sworn enemy, enemies of Israel, a very brutal, violent and barbaric nation, especially in war. Uh, one king of Assyria describes his regular practice after the capture of a, an enemy city. He burns the city to the ground. He mutilates all the grown males by cutting off their hands, ears and eyes and, and then piles them up in a great heap to die of suffocation, their wounds and the sun. The children he burns alive at the stake and the chief is taken back to Nineveh to be flayed alive. You can read that in the annual annals of the different kings of Assyria. It's a vivid record of their terrible cruelty. And so the Lord says to Jonah... Its wickedness has come up before me. Go and preach to the Ninevites. But of course, Jonah realises that this would destroy his standing in Israel. How could he go to Israel's sworn enemies? How could he go and bring them God's word? His reputation be, would be ruined. So why does God send Jonah to Nineveh? Why does he want to send him? Well, because he wants to save the city. And that becomes very clear, especially as we move on in the story and particularly at the end. He wants everyone to come to repentance. Even the city of Nineveh, a city full of corrupt, wicked, cruel people, a city that deserves only God's fierce judgment. You see, God is about saving the world. His big plan is not to condemn, but to bless. And his desire is to see all people saved. Not just Jews, but also Gentiles. Not just those in the church, but those outside the church. How does God do that? Well, through the preaching of his word. Through the preaching of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, Jonah 
is actually the forerunner, is a forerunner to Jesus. True, he's hardly a model prophet, is he? He sort of runs from God. But Jesus compares himself to Jonah. Just as Jonah was called to take the message of salvation to Nineveh, Jesus was called to take the message of salvation to the whole world. God saves a great city, a city of, that is full of undeserving, wicked people. But today, God in Christ is saving the whole world, a world full of undeserving people like you and me. Such is the grace and mercy of God that he uses ordinary men and women like Jonah and you and me to bring the gospel, his word of grace, to people of every nation, tribe and tongue. Now Jonah knows full well what God wants him to do. It's very simple, it's very clear, isn't it? Go to Nineveh and preach against it. And what does Jonah do? Well, he turns from God and runs. Look at verse 3. But Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. He went down to Joppa where he found a ship bound for that port. After paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. Jonah goes in the opposite direction. Nineveh is in the east. Tarshish is in the west. Jonah buys a ticket on the next boat to Tarshish. What was Tarshish like? It was actually an exotic place, a wealthy place. It's where Solomon got his gold and silver and ivory and monkeys and peacocks. God says to Jonah, go to Nineveh and preach. And Jesus says to his disciples, you and me, go to the world and make disciples. Go into the world and make disciples. And what does Jonah do? What do we so often do as disciples? What does the church so often do? We queue up to go to Tarshish, don't we? Looking for worldly comfort, pursuing wealth and prosperity, looking for the spectacular, the interesting, looking to please ourselves. Friends, where Jonah's far too often, strangely turning away from God when we should be drawing near to him. Strangely resistant to God's word when we should be obedient. Strangely heartless when we should be compassionate. Strangely silent when we should speak. And I say strangely, why do I say it? Because we have such wonderful good news. The best news in the world. Jonah had good news. God is saving a city, that great city. We have even better news. God is saving the whole world through the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, promising life eternal. Jonah turns away, he runs, and secondly, God stirs up a great storm. See how God pursues Jonah. Look at verse 4. Then the Lord sent a great wind on the sea, and such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break up. Now Jonah disobeys. And God throws things around. He hurls a great wind on the sea and it reminds us that the God of the Bible rules the world, including nature itself. The psalm says, the lightning flashes at his command. The stormy wind does his bidding. Insurance companies are not far from the mark, are they, when they describe the damage done by a storm as an act of God. They're not far from the mark. We might shy away from that a bit, but these sailors don't, do they? 
Think about it. They, they knew what they were doing, these sailors. They were professional sailors, competent sailors. And yet they understood that there was something unique about this storm. They had an idea that the gods were angry. Verse 5, all the sailors were afraid and each cried out to his own God. You see, God rules over nature. And when God sends a violent storm, these sailors go straight to the divine. You can't run from God. He uses the, the, the forces of the universe at his disposal. He uses them to do his will. And here it's Jonah's ship that is the Lord's target. God uses this storm to pursue Jonah and he will accomplish his purposes through Jonah. And notice how God exposes Jonah here. The sailors pray to their gods. They make the ship lighter. Nothing helps and so they decide to wake Jonah. Look at verse 6. The captain went to him and said, How can you sleep? Get up and call on your God. Maybe he will take notice of us so that we will not perish then the sailors said to each other, come, let us cast lots to find out who's responsible for this calamity. They cast lots and the lot fell on Jonah. So they asked him, tell us who's responsible for making all this trouble for us. What kind of work do you do? Where do you come from? What is your country? From what people are you? See, Jonah is, is completely exposed. This is God's doing and Jonah knows it. The very first words he actually speaks are words of witness to the God who rules. Look at verse 9. I'm a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord God of heaven who made the sea and the dry land. See what Jonah's saying to these sailors? See that howling heavens around you? My God made them. Feel the seas heaving under your feet? My God made them. See, sense the presence of that rocky coast ahead? It's my God's world what Jonah's saying. The sailors now understand that they're in the hands of Jonah's God and that all this happened because Jonah disobeyed. Verse 10, what have you done? It's not a question, it's a statement. Jonah owns up, it's my fault, throw me overboard. The sea will grow calm. By the way, Jonah still isn't repentant here, is he? He's not ready yet to say, I surrender all, is he? He'd rather go down to Davy Jones's locker than to preach to Nineveh. Now look at these pagan sailors. Instead, the men did their best, verse 13, to row back to land. These pagan men show amazing compassion to Jonah. Despite the trouble that he's caused them, the loss of all their cargo, the endangering of their lives... These men try to save Jonah. Isn't that extraordinary? Someone once said non-Christians never look better than when they are compared with some Christians. Jonah closes his heart to the people of Nineveh. He refuses to bring them God's word, a word that will save them. And these pagan sailors do everything they can to spare the life of Jonah, despite the trouble he's caused them. It's true sometimes, sadly, isn't it, that you find more grace among non-Christians than among Christians. The, tr the sailors try to save Jonah, but God is in control and he saves the sailors. Look at verses 14 and 15. Then they cried out to the Lord, Please, Lord, do not let us die for taking this man's life. Do not hold us accountable for killing an innocent man, for you, Lord, have done as you pleased. 
Then they took Jonah and threw him overboard, and the raging sea grew calm. See, after a, a, a desperate prayer to God, confessing his sovereignty, <laughs> for you, Lord, have done as you pleased. That's a confession of his sovereignty. The storm is stilled, and it's completely calmed. And, of course, it reminds us of that other reading that Gary read to us, Mark chapter 4, when the disciples were in the boat in the middle of the lake and Jesus was sleeping and a furious storm lashed the boat. Waves broke over it and the disciples woke Jesus up. Don't you care if we drown? And then we read, Jesus got up, rebuked the wind and said to the waves, be still. And it was completely calm. And it says the disciples were terrified. Why? Because they knew from Psalm 65, Psalm 89, Psalm 107, that it was God who stills the storm. And they realized that Jesus was God the creator. He was sitting, the God who formed dry land and the sea was sitting in the boat with them. That's what happened to these sailors as well in Jonah's time. Verse 16 tells us that they greatly feared the Lord and offered sacrifice to the Lord. What does it mean to fear the Lord? I wonder if you've thought much about that. As soon as Jonah hit the water, the sea became completely calm. And in that moment, the sailors were confronted with the tangible presence of the powerful creator God in his awesome majesty, who is at the same time their gracious saviour who rescued them. They trembled in the presence of his glory and delighted in his goodness. That's what it means to fear the Lord. They worshipped him and with sacrifices and vows. This fear is not a fear of punishment, is it? It's a fear and trembling with joy because of God's goodness to them. This powerful, majestic God is good. John Newton wrote about this in his famous hymn. We sang some of the words earlier. Amazing grace. He writes, "'Twas grace that taught my heart to fear." What's he talking about there? That is, to fear God, to tremble with joy before his glory and goodness. Twas grace that taught my heart to fear, and grace my fears relieve. What sort of fears are they? Well, for the fears we experience in the world of being rejected and condemned, the fears that might make you want to flee from God and hide. So it's right to tremble joyfully before the Lord. Both in the New Testament and the Old Testament, there is an awe that delights in God. And if you don't tremble like that, in the presence of Jesus, the creator and redeemer of the universe, the one who controls the wind and the waves, then you don't know him very well. God stirs up a great storm. He pursues and corners a rebellious Jonah and he saves these pagan sailors. And then in the third place, God sends a great fish. God rules over all of creation including the fish of the sea. Look at verse 17. Now the Lord provided a huge fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. We serve an awesome, powerful, sovereign God, and our ideas of God are often far too small. 
J.B. Phillips wrote a book once by the title, Your God is Too Small. And in the book he says, people have not found a God big enough for all their needs. We grow up with a Sunday school version of God and barely get beyond that, he says. And then when life gets complicated, our childish conceptions of God are no help. And like Jonah, we flounder and struggle and doubt. Are there ideas of God that you have that you need to smash? J.B. Phillips gives us a number of these false gods, ideas of God. God is a resident policeman who's all about the rules and enforcement. Or God is a grandfatherly old man up there in the sky. Or God who is meek and mild. Or God is a, a managing director. God is a second-hand deity, a family God passed down the generations. And Jonah chapter 1 gives us a great big God who shatters all our categories. He is the God who rules nature and nations and individuals, who is utterly sovereign and good and does as he pleases. Are there ideas of God that you need to smash? He is much, much greater than you think. And he's also much, much nearer than you think. He has come near to us in the Lord Jesus Christ. Do you tremble before him in faith? Do you find pleasure in your creator? Listen to Charles Spurgeon, the 19th century preacher. Gazing upon the vast expanse of waters, looking up to the innumerable stars, Examining the wing of an insect and seeing there the matchless skill of God displayed in the minute. Or standing in a thunderstorm, watching as best you can the flashes of lightning and listening to the thunder of Jehovah's voice. Have you not often shrunk into yourself and said, Great God, how terrible thou art. Not afraid, but full of delight. Like a child who rejoices to see his father's wealth his father's wisdom, his father's power, happy and at home, but feeling oh so little. Is that you? Or are you careless and listless? You cannot possibly get a glimpse of the power and majesty and glory of our creator God and our redeemer God and not tremble with joy at his goodness. Jonah for a minute. Jonah turned away from God and his word. He'd tried to run from God and look at the consequences for him in, of his actions. Firstly, he became powerless in a time of crisis. He could do nothing to save himself or the sailors. He couldn't pray. He couldn't call upon the Lord. Secondly, Jonah became ashamed of his ministry. Notice the only question the sailors asked he never answered was the question, what is it that you do? Jonah could no longer say, I'm a prophet, I'm a man of God, I'm a prophet of the living God. And thirdly, Jonah despaired of future service. Pick me up and throw me into the sea, he said. There's nothing left for me now. I'm not even sure whether God wants me or whether I'm even a child of his anymore. Jonah became physically and spiritually cast away. And this is what, we're, what happens when we're not in the will of God. We become powerless Christians and there's no spiritual strength in our lives. We no longer feel we can serve God because we've turned from him. 
But as we see here in Jonah chapter 1, God is not limited by our weaknesses and apathies. He graciously contends with us still. Through the circumstances of our lives, he contends with us. He wants us to go beyond simply admitting our failure. We need to go beyond our remorse like Jonah needed to. We need to cry out to him and confess our rebellion and sin against him and return to him and receive his grace, which he's only too willing to give. And for that, of course, Jonah needed some time. So God sent a great fish that swallowed Jonah. This is God's amazing grace to Jonah. Do you know that? God is still in control. He still has plans for Jonah. In his kindness, he seeks to restore him. So let me finish with this question. I want you to ponder this. What's going on in your heart about Jesus? He's the glorious Lord of creation in this story of Jonah. You know the story of Jesus. You know the, the story about Jesus in the boat and, and Jesus on the cross and, and Jesus in the empty tomb. You know those stories well. In the first movie of Tolstoy's Lord of the Rings trilogy, Gandalf the Wizard, you remember the scene perhaps if those of you have seen it, visits uh, Bilbo the Hobbit in his small home in the Shire and he's talking to Bilbo. And suddenly Gandalf gets very, very large and he fills the whole room. And he says, do you take me to be a conjurer of cheap tricks? And then he goes on, I'm not here to harm you, but to help you. Is Jesus just a conjurer of cheap tricks to you? Stilling the storm, healing the sick, walking on water. See, we never really fully get how awesome and majestic and powerful Jesus really is, do we? We never really fully get it. One day we will. What a privilege to be in a church that opens up God's word every week so that we can learn and know who Jesus really is. What's going on in your heart about Jesus? He's the Lord who speaks to the weather and it obeys. He's the Lord who commands creation, even the fish of the sea. And when he draws near and looks into your life, what does he see in the way you live and the decisions you make? What's going on in your heart? Are you running from him, ignoring him, putting him off in any way? He has given us a mission, hasn't he? He's given all of us a mission, go and make disciples. How are we responding to Jesus' call on our lives? Is Jesus weeping over you because your heart is cold towards him? You love perhaps church and religion and the trinkets of this world, but not really him? Or are you weeping with Jesus because you know him and love him and there's still so many who don't and you share his love for the lost? Who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. What's going on in your heart about Jesus? Do you really trust him? Do you know him? He loved you and gave himself for you. And I pray that everyone here today has a heart that's turned towards him and surrendered to his will. Let's pray. Dear Lord, thank you for revealing yourself to us again this morning.
through your word and the story of Jonah. Lord, Lord, we acknowledge you are the sovereign, majestic, all-powerful God who rules over everything you made and who does whatever you please. And at the same time, we see that you are wonderfully, wonderfully good, contending with broken, sinful people like us and even sending your son to die on a cross to save us and give us life. Lord, help us to see you as you are. Fill us with your spirit so that we would worship and serve you with trembling joy. And Lord, give us a heart for those who don't know you and new, fresh opportunities to witness to them for Jesus' sake and for his glory. We pray it in his awesome and good name. Amen.